Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Today, we are talking about Apiary, the latest uh, solo and competitive Euro from Stonemeyer. Yep. And at the end, we're going to have a design discussion about something we haven't discussed yet. So I was just about to say, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> this is, I think, the first time in all of our episodes we haven't discussed ahead of time what we want to discuss. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's almost like we're distracted by something, Peter. It's almost like something else is going on in our lives right now. What, whatever could that be? Yes. Well, did you want to do a... A design discussion. Yeah, let's stick to let's stick to our normal format. All right, so let's think of something off the cuff. How about worker placement? Great, great worker placement. Because <laughs> I don't think we've ever talked about that. Because you don't really see that many worker placement co op games. So yeah, uh, we'll do it off the cuff at the end. Well, this this is also not a worker placement co op game. I mean, that is very true. It is not a co op <laughs> game. But uh, yeah, well, Peter and I are mentioning, uh, if you weren't already aware, uh, we launched, uh, what is it, like three or four days ago, our first uh, Kickstarter game that we are publishing ourselves. We've had games published in the past by other people, but this is our first publishing effort, and that is Flame and Fang. Uh, There's videos on the YouTube channel of it. There's videos from other content creators on the Kickstarter page. It's a one to four player uh, solo cooperative adventure game where you are dragons trying to survive and be awesome. It's got deck building and adventure and combat and story and fun stuff uh but yeah so we are uh, very how close are we to funding peter we're, we're almost funded right 94 percent. yeah i mean we're we're definitely gonna be there and maybe by the time they hear this that would be awesome so yeah if you uh, have not checked out the game page uh maybe peter can link it in the show description but that's that's the big thing in our lives right now besides all the other big things in our lives like uh our you know full-time jobs and youtube channel and uh children and wives and everything else Yes. No, there, there's a lot going on right now, but we're super excited. Flame and Fang is is definitely a passion product. Um, it is something that, you know, kind of was birthed in the pandemic where we're sitting at home, had some free time, and I've wanted to make a dragon game for a very long time. And it actually came together relatively quickly, although, you know, there's some tweaking that has happened throughout the course of the thing, but I'm super happy where it is. It's one of those things where... It's one of those games where every time I teach it, every time I play it, I remind myself how much I love the game and just the different missions play so completely differently. And then we have ways to further vary it. So there's eight like missions. I almost think of it like Marvel Champions, where each mission can be played as part of a campaign, but it also can be played one off. So sometimes I just feel like playing a certain boss. You could throw a curse card in there to make it even more challenging to vary it up from mission to mission. I mean, there's so many other things that vary it up, including like what cards come out of the deck and things like that. But every time I play it, I get super excited again because I remind myself how fun the game is. Uh, and I love dragons. Did I mention that ever? Sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> and yet to be clear, uh, there, there's no plans for retail. So if if you think it's cool to have a game uh, that we have designed, then uh, you, you got to get it now, right? <laughs> That's pretty much the, the only plan. So if you want to check it out, now's your chance. 
We do have future plans for the game, though. I don't want to make it sound like this is a one-and-done type situation. Yes, we don't have plans for retailers, but certainly somebody could come to us tomorrow with a a plan to work with us and, you know, release it into retail. So I'm not going to say this is never going to be a retail game. We do have plans. Uh, I've already been kind of brainstorming an expansion for the game because it's clearly going to fund and it's clearly going to be relatively successful. So that is Flame and Fang on Kickstarter now. Go check it out. And yeah. Let's uh, thank some patrons real quick, and then we'll get to the actual game of the day, Apiary. But uh, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. You get early access to our videos on the YouTube channel. I do an exclusive video or two every month. At this point, if you <laughs> if you sign up for Patreon, you can immediately watch about 50 bonus videos that no one else can see. <laughs> so there's definitely a lot of content there. I have bonus playthroughs, bonus lists, bonus podcasts with Peter, uh, just all kinds of cool stuff on there. And of course, you're supporting us to make the channel, to buy equipment, to get more games to cover, all that good stuff. So again, patreon.com slash one stop. I'm going to shout out some of our amazing patrons right now. We've got... Uh, Gregors Lepecki. Thank you, Gregors. Uh, we've got Nicholas Goede, Miss Tharfair. This is a great month for names. Uh, Randito and Maitre Renard. That one's definitely French. Uh, so yeah, uh, all, all of them. Thank you all. And hey, uh, if, uh, if you want to check it out, you might have noticed in my recent playthroughs, I've started shouting out our highest tier, our co-op champion Patreon supporters. They get shouted on the YouTube channel. So that that might push some of you away from <laughs> supporting us on Patreon if you don't want to hear your name on the webs. But uh, that, that's another little bonus we have. So uh, thanks, everybody, for your support. And let's get to Apiary. I mean, I guess if they wanted to, they could say, don't shout me out and I'll pay you more money, right? Like, Oh, that, that's, that's the newest tier. That's right. That's the co-op <laughs> champion plus where you pay Mike to never say your name in any form and mispronounce it. That, that, that's a very good one. Nice. All right. Well, let's get into our review of Apiary. We're going to skip because we talked a little bit about Flame and Fang at the beginning. We're going to skip what we've played lately. Although I do have a question for you. We did just play a competitive game last night. What are your thoughts on Arc Nova after playing it a couple more times? Yeah, so this is one uh, I know it's, it's taken the gaming world by storm, but I don't play competitive Euros all the time. And uh, I have played this is my second time and I think it's great. It is great for a Euro, so it's still not going to be the game that I would request first or like go out of my way to play, but I would never refuse to play it. I, I would say it's, uh, well, it's hard to say because I've only played it twice, but it's probably like knocking on the door of other Euros like Lost Ruins of Arnak. You know, I think. Oh, it's, really? Well, okay, no. No, that's not, <laughs> it's not that good. It's not that good, but it's very good. Um, I, I definitely really enjoy it. Uh, yeah, like. Actually, an interesting one is to compare it to Apiary because it does have some similarities in terms of like timing and actions getting better and uh, some placement of things and getting bonuses from the placement. We can talk about that at the end, maybe. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Let's let's put that at the end right before the design discussion, which we just came up with. By the way, it's really good. <laughs> yes, I, I like that game quite a bit. The solo mode's fine, not great. It doesn't really mimic the game as well as I would like. Uh, And we can, again, compare that to Apiary when we're done here. But the solo mode is basically a timer there. But the timer is not similar to the way the timer would work in the base game because you're just, at the end of the game, you're just flush with money. So I'm hoping they rework their solo for Arc Nova. It's good. It's not. I, I would not buy the game just for the solo mode. It is a good way to learn the game, but 
you are missing out on a key element, which is like pushing toward the brakes and things like that. So um, I wouldn't recommend it. Actually, I want to bring up one more game that we played last night because this game just won't go away. And that's Similo. I mean, it's it's fine. <laughs> I mean, we played it like seven times in a row. Yeah, but that's just because we played it seven times in a row. I mean, what, what have we played before that? I don't think we played anything before Ark Nova. No, we, we did. We played something quick that I... Oh, oh Challengers. Challengers. Like, I'd much rather yeah. play Challengers than Similo, although I guess that's a longer game, of course. Right. For me, I don't think that's true, actually. I, I enjoy Similo every time we play it. It's fun to mix and match the sets because you just have to come up with some crazy things in your mind that would make these two things connect where they don't really connect. I don't know. I just have fun with it. It's such a simple game to play, a simple game to teach. You could play it with anybody. Yeah, that that one still holds pretty strong for me. I don't remember. Did we do a review? Because I don't remember ranking that one ever. I feel like we did. But yeah, I mean, I'll say like, I'm not, nothing against Similar. I think it's a very good game. But I think we play it a lot because it's on Board Game Arena. With So Clover, Just One, other games in a similar time frame available. I would never pick Similar over those. <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you think they're a similar time frame, though? Similar is like five minutes to play a game. I mean, it puts the mind to shame as far as how quick it is. Well, to- but, but we always play it three or four times in a row. So then it becomes about the same as like a game of just one with multiple passes or a game of So Clover with multiple tries, you know, or a game of code names even. So, yes, I would say they are like in a similar space in terms of how we actually play them. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. I still think it's probably faster to play, you know, with everybody being the clue giver once, even with three players. I think it would be faster than a round of So Clover. Even one round of So Clover, I would, well, but that would probably be maybe two rounds of So Clover would equal a full three rounds of similar. I don't know. For me, it's just, (laughs) again, but if you were playing with non-gamers, I would bring out Similo. Before So Clover, probably. Oh, no way, dude. I, I, bring, I bring that everywhere. I've taught that to, like, family at Thanksgiving and stuff. All right. Interesting. Well, for me, it's up there. Although, I would say I would want to play So Clover more times in a row. Like, I think Similo has an expiration. Like, all right, we played it five times tonight. I, I'm done playing it. Yeah. Right? yeah that's, Whereas that's, So that's Clover, good. I could see making a full game night out of that if you wanted to. Like, I, I don't think you'd run out of things where i think similo is has a little bit more of an expiration although i think price wise it's probably much cheaper so anyway we did talk about some games at the beginning even though we weren't planning on it sorry that was on me but it's okay because now let's get to apiary so we did get a review copy of this like an early review copy uh from stonemeyer and this uh you you want to do theme peter i'll do theme but i think we should also put a disclosure out here Jamie Stegmeyer at this point has become a friend of ours. We're definitely consulting him about our Kickstarter project. He's definitely helped give us some advice. Uh, he is also one of the earliest backers of the game because he believes in us and believes in what we produce. So with all that being said, I, I do think we should throw that out there that we do have at least somewhat of a relationship. He was one of the first people to ever come on our podcast. He like, shouted us out in our one year anniversary episode. So we we definitely have a long running tradition with Jamie. Although I will say we have not always been kind to his games. So I'm surprised he still likes this. Well, I, 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 I respect Jamie in many ways and I like a lot of his games and I respect that he will send review copies to people who don't love his games. You know what I mean? I think that's one of the cool things and I respect that about him. Yeah. And I mean, yes, 
And I don't have a personal relationship. It's not like I call him on the phone every day. Hey, Jamie, what's going on? I'm not part of his game group or anything like that. We don't live anywhere near each other. But I did think it was um, clear that, you know, as I get to know him as a human being, I realize what an amazing human being he is. And I am so happy for all of his success. Yeah, so there, there you go. That was the theme of Apiary. It is Amy <laughs> No, no. Let me go with the the, the uh, theme is humans are gone. You know, this is far, far future. Humans are gone. And then the next species that took over Earth were bumblebees. They became bigger and bigger. They became more intelligent. And eventually they created or found space travel. And so we are space traveling bumblebees with that have like language and stuff like that. And then Charlton Heston crashed onto their planet. <laughs> and he's tried and, <laughs> and we saw the statue of liberty that's right that's right <laughs> uh yeah and so the uh the core mechanics this is a worker placement game uh you are trying to mainly put tiles on this like little map board you have and those tiles will both give you like abilities and powers and also earn you victory points and as you're placing your workers, so you place workers or pull them all back. That's kind of the core mechanic of the game. Place one worker or pull all your workers back. Whenever you pull them back, they all age up and tick up one number from one to two, two to three, three to four. And when they're fours, when they tick up, they hibernate. You lose the worker, although you can hire new ones to replace them. And you fill in this little hibernation chamber. And that's what triggers the end of the game when the hibernation chambers are like almost fully filled. So you're basically just trying to get uh, victory points, place tiles, Get workers, level up your workers, hibernate your workers, get them points, baby. <laughs> yes. And when you pull back your workers, you also can work the, these some of the tiles that you have in front of you. They'll give you bonuses when you pull your your uh, bees back as well. Correct. Correct. So, uh, all right. Well, if this is your first time joining us, thank you. What we do here is we talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important going to number one, which we think is the most important thing. And I will go ahead and start. And that is you get 20 factions with this game. Now, to be fair, they are not actually like faction boards with all these super unique special abilities, but there are still 20 factions that play relatively differently than each other. Basically, what a faction is in this game is you get like a their hex tiles is what you're joining to kind of form your board. The starting hex tile for each faction is three big. So it tells you what resources you can hold. It tells you what resources you start with in the game. And it also has a special power. At some point throughout the game, you can even upgrade that faction power to make it more powerful. Sometimes it's just end game scoring. The one I used yesterday let me pull my workers back after each turn. So I didn't have to take one of those refresh phases. So they do play quite differently from each other. Although, again, sometimes not, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of scoring differences. So that's the reason it's number five. I think there I, I love games like this where you get to explore a lot of different things. And I think I still get that feeling, even though the special powers between them might not be that great. It's still fun to go, OK, this game, I've got to get these type tiles early because I need them next to my hive or whatever else. It just makes you think differently. And that that's always good for me. I love unique factions and unique powers. So that's my number five is this game comes with 20 of them, which is a lot. And I love them, too. I love them more than Peter because that'll show up on my list later. Oh, nice. My number five is uh, something we mentioned a little bit earlier, and this is a similarity between this game and Ark Nova, although not quite the same way, because Ark Nova has a bit more of a polyomino feel, like where you have to kind of fit things. 
but I like the uh, the nature of filling out your board on this one. So first of all, you have a different board each game. The game comes with, I forget, Peter, you have my copy. I think it's like four or five. Does that sound right? Five boards. Yep. Five yeah, so it comes boards. with these five boards and they each have different uh, configurations where the tiles go, different shapes. They each have different bonuses when you place a tile. So again, like the main way you're getting victory points is buying and building these tiles onto your board. You get different bonuses for placing on the tiles. So there's a great variety, even without the factions Peter already mentioned, with uh, how you kind of build out onto these boards and the bonuses you're getting. Like some will give you a ton of workers, so you might do stuff differently. Some will give you free tiles of certain types, so you might do things differently. And adjust the feel of like filling out this board. And like in Arc Nova and other games, if you fill out your entire board, you get extra points. But then not only that, you can, with some actions, place these little extra like little pieces next to your board and expand the amount of space you can fill. And then you get bonus points for filling those out. And sometimes I've had games where I just like try to fill as many things as possible really quickly, like get really cheap things. Sometimes I've filled less and gone for more expensive things. So there's a lot of interesting things here. And it just is satisfying to kind of fill out your hive and see the board filling up with your stuff. Yep. And my number four kind of goes along with that, although it's just the components in general. So it's cool that every player's got their own hive board. It's cool that everybody has their own faction tile that fits nicely onto that hive board. The main board is beautiful, although maybe a little bit busy. I think that's the one con of this for me. When you look at this game, I think it looks more overwhelming when you first look at it than it actually is to play. Like if you look at a picture on Board Game Geek or wherever right now, I think you go, oh my gosh, that's a lot going on. It's not nearly as overwhelming to play as it is to look at, I feel like. But you get these cool little spaceships that, uh, as your workers that tick up from one to four. Stonemeyer Games, love them or hate them, they are one of the best in the industry with components. The rule books have that nice feel to them with that different textured finish. So just everything in this game is top-notch as far as components go, including the artwork by Quan Chi Moria. When you look at the game, it is just beautiful and it'll definitely draw people to the table. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, my number four is the key mechanic we mentioned, which is the worker leveling and the hibernation thing. And I generally enjoy this. I think it's uh, it's not like very complicated. It's not like something, uh, you know, like Arc Nova has the cards kind of sliding along and getting stronger. That's certainly more involved and more interesting than this. Or uh, what's the one, Peter, with the gears turning, the Czech Games Edition one? Teotihuacan? No, it's not Teotihuacan. Is it? Maybe it is. Is that the gears on the board? No, so, like, Saltkin. Saltkin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, so like the, the workers ticking up is similar to kind of timing-based worker placement games I've played in the past. It's not quite as complicated as that, but it still feels really satisfying. Remind me, is this similar to uh, Jamie Stegmeier's other game where with the uh, dystopia, where didn't oh. the workers tick up in that as well and become more powerful? They didn't but then- consistently tick up, and it wasn't necessarily powerful. It was like more or less likely to leave your empire from what I remember. But I don't think it worked. Okay. But yeah, th- there are some similarities. Yeah, what was that? That was... Oh, geez, I can't remember that name either. But yeah, so let me let me say my point, though. So yeah, it's fun to have your workers tick up. Uh, it does add an interesting wrinkle to your tactics and choices because they're going to give you different bonuses based on their number and based on what spaces you go on to. And, you know, the four workers, 
give you a major bonus in any action you go to. So when you use them, it is crazy good, but then they hibernate, which is good because it gets you onto the hibernation board. That's like its own area control thing, placing your hibernated workers on this board, but then you're losing workers. But sometimes I'll rush and like pull back my workers more often to age them up faster to get to a four faster. Sometimes I'll try to keep my workers around longer. So I just really like the mechanic. It's not too brain burning, but it does add some nice considerations. And those fours are big, but then you lose them. It's got a cool ebb and flow overall. Yeah, by the way, I looked it up. It's Euphoria is the Stonemeyer game. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree, but I will get to that a little bit more in a minute. My number three is having to do with the solo game, and it is the AI deck. It's uh, auto Automa deck, similar to what we've seen before, actually. It's very similar to the way it would work in something like Gaia Project, in that you're flipping over a card. The other one that does it is the one you mentioned earlier. Um, it's driving me crazy. What's the name of that one? With the... Uh, you're exploring the jungle. Oh, uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak? Lost Ruins of Arnak, right? Where you're just flipping over a card. Yep. And on that one, it gives you what action they're going to do. And then it says left or right or whatever. But the back of the other card kind of gives you some details about how you resolve that action. So it's kind of interesting in that way. Now, it's, I think, a little more complicated that, well, probably not. It's probably right on the level of Lost Runes of Arnak. Definitely less complicated than Gaia Project, but they all work similar, where you're flipping a card over and there's like two pieces of information that tell you how to resolve the action. Here, it's a lot of like blocking spaces, just getting their things on the board so they can level them up as well, their workers, and just giving them victory points. It didn't feel as satisfying as something like Gaia Project where they're blocking your path and things like that. But I think the game in general doesn't have as much interaction as something like Gaia Project. So Gaia Project had to be a little bit more complex and even Scythe games like that, like had to have a little bit more complex AI, but for quick turns and quickness and ease of play, it was awesome. And it was way better than something in my mind anyway, like Arc Nova, where it's just like a beat your score type thing. Yes, the AI is going to get a score as it goes along and it's going to play differently from game to game. And it's going to put its workers in different spots, which may influence how you decide to take your actions as well. So I think it's got a little bit more going on than just, I mean, they could have just had it a beat your score or whatever else. There was definitely some more effort put into this overall. I felt it was, it was satisfying to play and I like how quickly it went and got back to your turn. Yeah. And funnily enough, that's my number three. And I agree with you. Like Peter said, uh, Euros will often have like one of three types of solo modes. They'll have a just pure beat your own score or race. They'll have a simplified automa that is like blocking you in some basic ways, but kind of just kind of racing you score wise. And then they'll have like a sort of fully implemented or partially implemented automa that's like a real player. Uh, Automa Factory is certainly one of the kings of that middle category that like kind of a player, but simplifying everything except for the actual interaction points. And I think this works great. I, I would say I'm even more positive on it than Peter is because there is a lot of interaction in like where you place your workers and when you pull them back. And like if you are worried about helping or hurting the Automa by giving them extra actions, by pushing their workers, which we'll get into in a second, I'm sure. But I, I think it's a really good Automa. It, it is not fully featured. It's not going to feel like a real player. But the focus is 100% <laughs> on what you're doing. Yes. They do their turn and get out of the way. But there's still a challenge and something I appreciate uh, that you didn't mention, Peter, just to add on to what you said is that they have a lot of difficulty settings for them. 
So you can really like figure out what level is a challenge for you. And I appreciate that, that you can modify it greatly. You can make it easy enough that you pretty much always win or make it so tough that you'll maybe never win. And they have a lot of like levels between that. Yep. And without really changing much at all, like they change how like when a worker comes back to their board, they start a little bit more powerful. They change the number of victory points they get with each card play. But no, I, I think it scales easily as well. Some of these things, when you scale them, you're adding in more complex cards or whatever else, and it does not have that. So yeah, yeah, I I did not think about mentioning that, but no, I think that's a very good point. So my number two, I'm more positive about than you. So ha ha. And that is the aging of the workers and with the worker placement action. I really think this is neat because you're getting your workers become more and more powerful as you go along. And I actually think it's even more interesting than that because it's not just a normal puzzle where it's like, okay, I'm going to put my most powerful worker out to get the most powerful action right now. It's okay. What do I really need this turn? And, you know, sometimes you, you don't need anything more than that level one worker. Maybe you just need to change one resource into something else, or you want to change one card out, or you want to do like this one action, or you need to move the ship one space, or you just need to draft something from that first row of the draft. So the one is just fine for that. So even though the workers become more powerful, and certainly the level four is much more powerful, no matter what space you go to. And that's a really hard decision too, because you want all those level four actions. They're all really good good and so depending on what you need right then like you have to decide and make tough decisions do i go for like end game scoring spots do i really go to get one of these better whatever i don't know there's there's a lot of different things they do and i i think all of those choices were very interesting because of those workers leveling up so i like worker placement it's one of my favorite mechanisms anyway i do like the workers go away and you have to find a way to get more workers back again either buying them or from your board or if you run out of workers you just get one free at the beginning of your turn but it's going to start at level uh, one again and then you're gonna have to pull it back every turn so having two or three workers is usually important because you don't really want to pull your workers back every turn i don't know i just thought that whole puzzle was one of my favorite parts of the game almost my number one it was really back and forth with the this and the next point but i I really liked how the worker placement and the aging of the workers worked yeah and i pulled out like the kind of details of the worker placement itself for my number two so separated from the leveling thing and i I think this is great and i'll kind of add in i just like the whole kind of scope of the worker placement for this one i am I, i will admit generally attracted to slightly lighter euros And like Peter said, the board can seem busy, but I think this is an extremely straightforward and accessible Euro once you get into playing it. There aren't that many action spaces. And like really all you got to kind of figure out is what the extra bonus is for four uh, for your level four workers and you're ready to go. But the worker placement is still really interesting. And, And the core choice of placing a worker or pulling them all back. This reminds me of. See, I'm trying to pull out all these euros that we used to play. <laughs> what was like the one up Peter, like Industrial Empire or something? Didn't that have a similar mechanic where you could like place a worker or pull them all back? Well, there are lots of ones with cards. Uh, I'm trying to think of the the uh, oh, that's one. True. Where, yeah, yeah, like where, all where the cards. Like, play were, a card, play yep, a card, yep. but one of them pulls all your cards back and gives you a special. Sure, action. sure. No, there's a ton Thanks. of games like that. That's good. That's yeah, good yeah. cool. 
But yeah, so I like that uh, aspect of it. That choice is always interesting. If you can wait to pull your workers back, there's a better chance of them getting pushed. There's the other thing I really like about the worker placement here. So spots are never, it's never taken up. You know, like a lot of worker placement games kind of thrive on that frustration of, I don't have that spot. I need to get there before somebody else does. That's never the case in this game, which I appreciate as somebody who doesn't love, you know, really frustrating take that in in, uh, Euro games. But instead, what happens is if somebody goes to where your worker is, your worker gets pushed and you can usually pull them back and have them available again with plus one number or they hibernate if they're level four. So the the interplay there, deciding like when do you want to push the AI or do you want to wait because as they place more and more of their workers, just like a real player, they're more and more likely to pull their workers back. You know, how long do you want to leave your workers out? Is the AI likely to push them if they're like spread out around the board? I find all that really great. It's not like the most complicated worker placement game, but I just think every aspect of it for my taste as a lighter worker placement appreciator uh, really works well and really flows in a nice way. Yeah, well, since we've had the same two for the last ones, I feel like we're going to have the same one for number one also. So why don't you go ahead and do your number one first, and I'll, oh. I'll fill in the cracks. Well, I, I don't know. So my number one is a mix of what you said for your number five. It's the faction variety, which I agree with you. Even though they are not the most diverse factions, having 20 is bonkers. <laughs> and they do really change up your strategy in the game, so I appreciate that in a major way. And then I added on to that the uh, diversity in tiles. So we haven't mentioned those much, but... You know, you got the different types. You can go, there's often ways, especially with different factions, to combo lots of types. So like I might get a lot of farms. Those give me more consistent resource generation and resource uh, capacity. I might go for a lot of these like little bonus people that'll make some of the actions stronger. We'll make certain like tile types stronger. And then there are these like one-off ones with super powerful actions you might want to burst into. And then finally, the toughest ones to get, you need to send a four worker to get these are the carvings, which can give you huge amounts of victory points. And then you're also getting these seed cards that you can slot in to get other things. So just like uh, as somebody who appreciates euros that don't feel the same each time I play, and I'm not saying this doesn't like I'm not saying I'm I'm still, of course, taking the same actions. There aren't that many actions. I'm still like buying things. I'm still filling my board. But I feel like I can pursue a different strategy every time I play. My faction will send me down the line somewhat. My uh, my space board, my hive board at the start will send me down a certain direction. The things that come out and the bonuses that are available. I just really like the combo possibility, the tiles, all that stuff. This is for me what I look for in a euro instead of something you know, no offense to it, but some euros, I feel like I do the exact same thing or a mix of everything every time. And this, again, it's not like I'm hugely diversifying, but I can really focus on certain types of tiles and feel good about it each time I play. Yeah. So my number one is a little bit related to that. And I guess I realize it's related to your number five with the hive mats um, because I put this here as well. But I said, this game is basically a tableau builder. Where basically a tableau builder is you're getting cards, you're putting them in front of you, and then they'll like kind of dictate or or help you out with future actions as well. I guess not every card you or card, I call them cards or tiles that you draft is going to help you in future turns. Some help you certainly some boost certain actions, some give you one time powerful effects, some give you end game scoring, as Mike said. But it felt a lot like a tableau builder to me. It felt like I was building this engine and my engine was becoming more powerful as I went along. So not only did you have this worker placement thing, but you had this tableau builder with this mini puzzle. Stonemeyer games love to do this. And I guess Scythe was one of the earliest examples where you get like multiple bonuses for doing things. So when I get this tile, I draft it, I put it onto my board. Now, depending on where I 
put it, I get another bonus action in addition to just placing the tile. And those are all feel good moments. Also, when you move these little B shaped miniature around the board, uh, you're exploring, you get whatever's on that ex- exploration tile. Like it'll give you some resources or whatever, but you'll also like found a planet, which will give you even more resources. So it's kind of like you do something and you get like two good things, but it's all in pursuit of this like tableau building. And that's, I guess the worker placement is what dictates the end of the game. But I even like that you have to, at some point, buy more space that you could put more tiles on to build your tableau of, you know, it's not cards in this situation. It's tiles. It's hex-based tiles. And there's a little bit of a maybe placement matters a little bit, usually just for your main colony. I don't know. It's just really satisfying. Like, I like this type of game where you're kind of building an engine and trying to figure out how to make it run as well as worker placement. So these two things put together for me were just kind of a home run. So, uh, I mean, I guess I'm giving away my, my final thoughts a little bit, but um, Mike, did you want to go into your final thoughts first? Yeah. I mean, this, as somebody who's maybe not the biggest lover of euros, especially solo euros, like I usually prefer to play them competitively because I think it's where like the variety comes through. This one I think is great for solo. I, I had a, I had a blast with it and I, I, think it's really fun for competitive. I didn't get to play competitive too many times before I let you borrow it. But yeah, I, I was really won over by this one. Again, I don't want to do too much hyperbole, but it's certainly my favorite Stonemeyer recently, which is saying something because I really liked Expeditions. That was my favorite Stonemeyer in quite a while. So the, that one-two punch of both of them is really good. And I think this is even better for me than Expeditions was. Uh, I think it's a great worker placement game. I think it's accessible. I think it's fun. I think it's got a ton of variety. So yeah, if you like worker placement euros, I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to play this unless you're like really into super complex ones and maybe it would feel like simplistic, but I don't know. I, I think it's a ton of fun. Yeah, I mean, honestly, this is this and I have a hard time between this and Expeditions. This and Expeditions are probably my two favorite Stonemeyer games. So, I mean, just kind of going along with exactly what you said. Not not recent Stonemeyer games of all time, Stonemeyer games. I definitely have played almost every one of his games looking back at it now. Now, I mean, not always his version of it. Yeah, but I've, I've played almost every single one of his games because they're all very popular and, you know, they do a really good job. But Apiary was definitely up there as one of my favorites. And it goes with something I like. And we didn't even really mention this, but it's quick to play. You know, it takes a minute to set up, but not that long. There's a little more setup than I would probably want for a shorter game. But, you know, it's mostly just shuffling tiles and putting them in stacks and like putting stuff on the board. So it's, you know, maybe five, five minutes or whatever. But gameplay is really quick. Like, I have a hard time sticking with games and playing them. But it was very easy for me to put this on the table and play it two, three, four times in a row. And I I kept wanting to play it. So that said something good for it as well. So, yeah, I haven't played it competitively at all, surprisingly. I think I would like it even more competitively, but the solo bots just so quick and so easy to implement that. Yeah, it was easy to just keep going. And like you said, pushing up the difficulty as well, because I did find those earlier ones pretty easy to beat. So definitely pushing it up to try to find the difficulty that worked best for me. But yeah, no, I had a blast playing it. I loved what I was doing on my turns and the AI turns didn't get in my way. So I really um, appreciated that as well. Yeah, and I, I think you still have to pay attention to where they are. Like, it's not like a non-interactive game. You know what I mean? 
Like he, sure. you're paying attention to their worker placement spaces, when they're going to pull back their workers, when you're going to pull back your workers. I think it's not a, I like think, a huge amount of interaction, but I definitely felt interaction. You know what I mean? I think it's the opposite of what you would think though. Like I would sometimes push their people back just because I didn't want them to have a pullback turn, right? Because they decide when they pull their stuff back, when they have either zero or one worker left on their player board a lot of times. Well, if I didn't want them to pull their workers back, maybe I would bump one of their workers back so that way they didn't pull their level four back. So I had another turn to level uh, my yeah, guys yeah. up. That's a good call. You know what I mean? So I, I would sometimes try to orchestrate it to the point where I would buy myself another turn. I mean, that wasn't certainly something I would do every time. And it only actually works on very specific situations. But sometimes I would find myself doing that. Because there is no blocking in this game, it's almost like you want to avoid them a lot of times. Because every time you're bumping their workers back, you're leveling them up, basically, and making it easier and easier for them to get to level four, which will help them like race for that hibernation uh, chamber spots. Uh, which kind of give you some really cool bonuses as well. There's definitely some interaction, but I think the lack of blocking makes the interaction different than most worker placement games. Yes, I definitely agree with that. And again, I liked it, but maybe not everyone will. All right, so ready to get into our design discussion? Yes, I'm fully prepared because uh, we we planned it ahead of time. Yes. So, (laughs) well, actually, we've done this ourselves. We've tried to make a worker placement game into a cooperative game, and it's challenging. Well, and, and yeah, so to talk about that a little bit, one of the challenges when we were making our own worker placement cooperative game was a thing that Apiary doesn't do, which yes. is the blocking of spaces. And and it is interesting now that we played Apiary, I'm kind of curious how we could leverage its, ver- its variation on worker placement. Because yeah, like w- how do you cooperatively model the blocking of spaces? And I've seen worker placement games that have done it. I can't think of them at the moment. Well, I guess the Lost Ruins of Arnak, you have some of that, right? Like in the new new two-player cooperative campaign that we played, you can block spaces there. And I think it works fine. It's just a little different because in a cooperative worker placement, you're just discussing with each other like, hey, don't go there because I need to go there. (laughs) You know what I mean? And And one thing that Lost Ruins of Arnak does pretty good which we did not do is they do a good job of blocking up spaces for both of you so you may agree and and when we were doing it we were having ourselves block our own spaces and the way we did it is you never remove the tokens from the board you could just move them from one space to another so the cooperation there was hey move this worker placement token to this other spot because i need you to clear this spot over here so we definitely had some cooperation as far as that goes, but the way Lost Ruins of Arnak does it is like, okay, I'll let you have that spot. Oh no, the AI just took it, right? <laughs> like right. they're they're blocking up those spaces as well. So uh, they're because timing is so important in that game, and just figuring out what you can do with your two workers, and like, oh man, I need a couple more exploration tokens before I can go out and explore or whatever, and then the the AI gets in your way, or oh, please don't take that. That one space that that only costs one movement to go to, can you take the double movement one to get your exploration tokens or whatever? So I I think there are interesting ways to do it. But yeah, no, I haven't thought of the apiary way before, which is you you don't block up spaces at all. 
I think you'd almost have to do it similar to the way Apiary did it, where there's a, a negative, right? You don't want to bump your friend's thing because it could go away. Well, but Apiary good. is more, I would argue, positive than negative because you don't have to rest as often. You have fewer wasted, you know, you know, quote unquote, wasted turns. I guess it depends on whether you're going farms or not. But yeah, I, th- I think either way, it is interesting. We were not clever enough <laughs> back when we were designing this game that never went anywhere. Because we just had the players blocking each other, which is fine. Like we still made, I think it was still a good game. I think it was still pretty interesting. But yeah, the, like, like you said, Peter, having an opponent that still blocks spaces, like an AI opponent still blocks spaces in a like antagonistic way is one clever way to do a worker placement that is still like tense in the way worker placements tend to be. And then another way is apiary, where it is not about blocking, but about like some kind of texture. And yeah, I do like the idea. Again, apiary, I think, is positive or negative. But if you push another player's worker, maybe they take some damage, you know, or maybe they get some other kind of negative thing. I think that's really interesting. That could definitely be like a cool kind of design concept to follow. And I totally agree with you, by the way, that in apiary, it's only positive typically for the person who is getting bumped. What I was thinking is if it's cooperative... You'd you'd want it to be the opposite, though, right? Because yeah, you'd yeah. want to create tension. Like, if you could just bump each other willy-nilly, there's no reason for discussion. And that's the most important thing. I mean, a- as we do more and more cooperative games, the one thing I find that I really like, and not every cooperative game has to do this, because obviously Hanabi doesn't do this, and obviously the mind doesn't do this, although I guess they focus around communication. But I really do like the parts of the game's where you're communicating with each other. Because otherwise, it's kind of like multiplayer solitaire, which I do like in Euro games from time to time when I can just get into my own puzzle. But like for a cooperative game, I don't think there's any time don't want to be discussing what's going on. I I think that's why, you know, Pandemic gets to some degree a bad rep because people are just kind of taking their own turns and then a bad thing happens. Even that game though, you have to discuss, hey, Somebody needs to go take care of these problems over here, right? Like you have to discuss that as a group. Hey, don't forget, this isn't in the the discard pile yet, right? Like, so that place is really a problem or, oh, I know you see three cubes there, but that place isn't a problem because that card just came up or whatever. So I guess there's some discussion there. Yeah, I, I guess it's more than I thought. So for me, no matter what system you're using, there has to be fun, interesting interactions. And that's the hard part for worker placement because it's usually a negative interaction where you're blocking somebody else. In cooperative games, you're trying to have positive interactions, right? Where you're you're doing things to help each other. Well, I don't know. I think it's still interesting to like have the discussion of, hey, who needs that more? If you go there, you're going to mess me up. You know what I mean? Uh, regardless of like how that worker kind of placement interaction happens between the players. And also I'd say, you know, generally I agree with you. Like generally I want as much cooperation as possible, but I think, you know, some of our own designs have shown us that sometimes too much discussion can be a detriment to a game. Yeah. Slow it down. Like if you have to discuss every like move. Yeah, exactly. And especially like in higher player counts, like it slows the game down to a crawl, depending on the type of game that's, you know, going to be a bad thing or a good thing. Some games thrive off of a little bit. Like I think most dungeon crawlers, you really want it to be like 70% focused on you and the cool stuff you're doing and 30% focused on talking to the team. And even I would say like Spirit Island tends to be that, at least in the early game, you know, where like you can't really influence each other very much. So you're kind of doing your own thing and talking a bit about stuff. 
but then something like, uh, you know, again, just one or so clover or like a, a more partyish game or a lighter game or a quicker game. I want to be talking constantly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, sure. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say that like every co-op game needs to have a ton of communication. And I do think worker placement that tends to go with games of like empire building, tableau building, combo building. And those are going to naturally, well, ha, actually I just thought I was going to say they're naturally going to lend themselves towards more focus on your own stuff, but they don't have to. What if there was a cooperative worker placement game where the stuff you're building into is a shared resource, you know, like where you're all building the same empire, where you're all building the same combos for each other. Yeah, no, I mean, similar to deck building, I guess. People have talked about like a deck building with one shared deck or whatever. I mean, it's an interesting thought, right? Where maybe we are working on this one thing together and building it up together. But, you know, going back to dungeon crawls that you mentioned a minute ago, I think maybe one of the reasons you and I aren't always so keen on dungeon crawls is because they don't have that cooperation. Where games that we tend to like, like Oathsworn, and the new Tales from the Red Dragon Inn, there's a lot of moving stuff around to help each other. I mean, when we look at the dungeon crawler spare parts that we're designing, most of it is what can we do to move stuff around so you have to help each other or can help each other. And really, like we like that type of cooperation. I think you're right. Most dungeon crawlers don't have that. And maybe that's why you and I don't like them as much. I mean, Gloomhaven, a great game, obviously, you know, number one for a very long time, but I find the only interaction I have in that game is when I get frustrated because somebody else steals the gold I wanted or kills the dude I wanted to kill. And now I'm out of range and I can't do anything with my cards. Right. It almost feels like negative interaction in those games and i'm not getting those positive vibes out of the interaction whereas games that i like you're doing stuff to help each other yeah and i think a lot of even if you don't have like movement because i do think that's one good way to do that if you have like a lot of tactical movement in your dungeon crawler and sorry i know we're getting away from worker placement here but uh i think also like a lot of dungeon crawlers do a nice job with a lot of uh, supportive abilities you know or even it was much maligned by many players at the time, but fourth edition uh, Dungeons and Dragons was a much more like board gamey dungeon crawlery, like board game style RPG system than other Dungeons Dragons iterations. And that one had a lot of things where like, if you do this attack, you also let somebody else get plus two on their attack. If you do this attack, you also let's give somebody else like a movement. So there were a lot of things in that one that were like constantly kind of building bridges between players so that your turn was not something you could just resolve entirely kind of in a vacuum of your own considerations. So I I tend to like dungeon crawlers, boss battlers, adventure games that do that kind of stuff. Unless I'm playing solo and then I don't care as much. (laughs) If I'm just controlling like two or three people all by myself, (laughs) I'm cooperating naturally with, with me. I'm doing all the cooperation I need. Nice. Yeah. So bringing it back to worker placement, I do think it is important to have that interaction between players, have a reason for discussion. As you said, it can get too far, right? Especially if it's something that doesn't matter. But I think that's part of it, right? You want to make the interactions matter and you want to make them something where, I mean, I I would argue, uh, even though I just said an apiary style worker placement game would be kind of cool if it was like a negative interaction and you're like hurting each other if you take each other's spaces. But honestly, the most fun interactions I have in games is where you're helping each other. So maybe there's a fun way that they could make it so that you want to bump each other, 
but obviously then you wouldn't always want to take the same actions as the person. So you're, you're fighting between, do I do something that's less good for me, but lets me help you and something that is more good for me, but I'm selfish. And now I'm not helping either of us as much. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that might be a fun push pull in an apiary style worker placement. And honestly, I'm just really happy that Apiary came out because it's something new, right? It's a new, different type of way to do worker placement, which is one of my favorite mechanisms. So it's just kind of opening my mind to different ways of doing that interaction of worker placement, which is usually negative, but maybe in a cooperative game, maybe we try to figure out a way to make it positive. Yeah, and I love all the, just like the recent thriving of solo and co-op like worker placement in Euro campaign games and like cooperative games, like Lost Runes of Arnak or uh, Empires of the North had like the solo campaign. I, I just like that. I mean, I'm sure it's, <laughs> you know, I'm sure it's because they see that the audience is there and the market is there and that they want to take advantage of it. But I, I love that that's happening. I love that solo and co-op are strong enough that uh, people are pushing themselves to bring Euro games into spaces they've never been before. Yeah, and actually, with that being said, I do plan on doing a top 10 Euro solo games, and I'm working on that list now, and I'm playing through. So right upstairs, I've got um, Great Western Trail New Zealand, because any game that I think might be potentially on that list, I want to try to play several times before I have to make that list. So definitely working on that, because I do think these solo modes for Euro games have just gotten better and better over the years. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really happy. And I also know I'm the one who likes those type games more than uh, anybody else on the channel. So uh, hopefully I get a video done in the next month or so um, because I do, there are still a lot I want to play or games I haven't played in a while, like underwater cities, like anachrony. Like I haven't played those solo modes in a while just to remind myself of, of how they play. So you know, those games will definitely be near the top of my list. Uh, and, and I'm sure Apiary is going to be on there somewhere because it does something different than a lot of these games in the fact that it's nice and quick. And again, I just thinking based on this design discussion, I really like what it does to open my mind to new methods of worker placement. So um, I would definitely check it out. Now thinking back, back on Apiary, even if just from a design curiosity standpoint, uh, the designer Connie Vogelman did a very good job of creating, you know, uh, in my mind, something new, you know, a new way of doing worker placement. I think it's really cool. All right. So pretty big recommendation from both of us for Apiary. Go check it out. Uh, I'm not sure. Is it still pre-order? Hold on. Now I'm going <laughs> to like, I know it was going up for pre-order, but will require one to three weeks to ship. So it looks like it's not, it's definitely not in retail yet. I'm not sure how quickly it's going to be making its way. But yeah, uh, I think it's, I think it's a good one. Check it out. And thanks for listening to our design discussion. That was uh, fully detailed and planned. I did a lot of research and uh, <laughs> definitely remembered the name of every Euro I mentioned. <laughs> and yeah, yes. go check out Flame and Fag. Uh, see our game in action. It, it, it does not have worker placement, but it does other cool stuff. And the one thing we forgot to mention at the beginning about Flame and Fang is this game is done. Like, I mean, it's basically ready to print. Obviously, we got to make the file, uh, not we, uh, our graphic designer has to make the files print ready, but he's already working on that now, you know, getting the uh, specifications from the factory. So, yeah, no, our goal is to deliver this game relatively quickly. And again, based on demand 
from people who didn't get in on this Kickstarter or based on reviews, you know, we're expecting very positive reviews because we are very happy with the game design and gameplay. So based on that, you know, we'll decide how quickly we work on an expansion or maybe go to working on a different game first and get back to it. But um, this is definitely not the end of the line for Flame and Fang. I'm super excited. Um, we've got a lot of ideas. So go help us make art. I mean, not only make the game a reality, because at this point, I'm pretty sure it's going to fund, but help make our company a reality. You know, the better this game does, the better our board, our new board game company, MVP Board Games is going to do. So if you want to help support us, you know, not only with the channel, but in, you know, you want to see more designs come out of us. I mean, obviously we have to have a thriving game company for us to get our designs out more often. So if you like what we do, you know, come help support us. We totally appreciate it. All right, everybody have a good week of gaming and we'll see you next time. Yep. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the one stop co-op shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at one stop co-op shop. Also join us for games and discussion on our discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey, Mike. Yeah. I'm a dragon. Rawr! Flame and fang! <laughs> Flames! Fangs! Don't bite me! <laughs>